Welcome to Love Letters from Jesus, the podcast that brings you the Sermon of the Week, with your host, Pastor Ted Bojanic. Welcome to another edition of Love Letters from Jesus. My name is Pastor Ted Bojanic. It is a privilege to have you listening to this podcast. I'm so glad to be bringing you God's word. In this edition, we're going to be talking about the rainbow and God's promise of that rainbow and what it means to you and to me and to all those that believe in God and what that is really all about. And we'll have to do a little digging in the Bible to uh, discover that. Turning to the book of Genesis. But first of all, just a reminder that we are recording in the facilities of Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. And we worship here at Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran Church every Sunday at 10 a.m. And if you are living here locally or visiting in the area, you are always welcome to come worship with us. So the rainbow, the rainbow has been abused in America as a symbol of perverseness, but that's not what God intended. We know that the rainbow belongs to God, it's his. And he has set it as a covenant, a covenant is a promise, a promise between himself and Noah and the people of the earth that he would never again flood the whole earth with a giant flood as he once did. He promises that. And every time he brings the rain clouds over the earth, he brings out a rainbow as a reminder that he will never flood the entire earth. There might be localized flooding, but there will not be a flood that will flood the entire earth. That's what the rainbow is. It is a symbol of his promise of love in that way. So when we think about the rainbow, we have to think about the flood. Why would God be brought to the point of such heartache that he would find it necessary to flood the whole earth. And for that, we have to go to Genesis chapter 6 and see that the world was really in a very bad situation back then. That the world was full of unbelievers who rejected God, 
and his word, with the exception of Noah and his three sons and their wives and Noah's wife. So you have eight people in a world of people. So you have eight that are believers and the rest of them that are unbelievers. And the situation was so bad that it wasn't just a case of sinful measles. Rather, it was like a case of terminal cancer. God saw that things were severe in the world. So let me just read you a little bit from Genesis 6. When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. So instead of saying, which of these women will make a God-pleasing wife for me. The sons of God, that is these believing men, were saying, which of these women are the most attractive? So they were looking for physical beauty, not for women of faith. And that's how things went downhill. So these believers were intermixed with unbelieving women. And so faith disappeared from their homes. And home life became a ruin. And there was no faith in the home. There was no faith in God in the home anymore except for the home of Noah. That's significant. Then the Lord, and it's Lord in all capitals, the God of free and faithful grace, the God that saves us. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. God is giving 120 years for man to change and to perhaps repent. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old men of renown, so they would be these giant men, these military type men. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Can you imagine that? God 
was sorry that he had made mankind. The Lord, the God of free and faithful grace, was grieved that he had made mankind on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord, again in all caps, said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then chapter 6 continues. This is the account of Noah. God noticed Noah and his family because they were people who were devout to the Lord, that they believed in him. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They were not sinless, but they were people of faith. Notice how verse 11 continues in chapter 6. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God can't stand that. God can't stand the earth being full of violence. And he won't put up with it for very long. And there were many violent men on the earth in those days. The Nephilim were very violent. And the Nephilim actually is a word in Hebrew that means to attack. So when the men of God and the men of Cain intermarried with each other, there became they became violent men. And they trampled on the rights of others. And these mixed marriages which spawned homes that were really fractured homes because there there was they were really faithless homes. And created really a topsy turvy world and a world that was full of lots of violence, the very thing that God detests. God demands an accounting for the blood of every man that is shed. And there was a lot of bloodshed in that day. And he demands an accounting for, for the blood of every animal that is shed as well. So the world became a very violent place. Yet God gave them 120 years, both for Noah to do this building project, because it wouldn't be an easy thing, to build this ark in the middle of the desert, and it would be hard to go get everything he needed because the wood and everything would be at a distance. But it was 120 years for the people to 
also hear Noah preach. 120 years for them to repent. This was God's time for the word to be a witness to them. Noah is mentioned in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah, when he was warned about the things that had not been seen before, when he, let me reread that. By faith, Noah, when he was warned about things that had not been seen before, built an ark in reverent fear in order to save his family. By it, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that is by faith. He did everything God told him to do. And God took him into his confidence and told him, as he needed to know things a little at a time, exactly what needed to happen. And he did these things. And then the animals would come to a finished ark and the storm would come upon the earth and the flood that was a punishment to the violent, godless, unbelieving people of the world was actually a salvation to Noah and his family, lifting them far above all those people who were tormenting them. And then they would not step foot on the earth for a year. But then they would, wouldn't they? Eventually it would all come to an end. And they would get to come off the ark. We get that in Genesis chapter 9. And God would welcome them off the ark and give them this time permission to eat meat, not just plants, as Adam and Eve. And God, in order to save them from these animals, he would put the dread of mankind into these animals because Adam and, or uh, Noah and his family were outnumbered by these animals. And so the dread of mankind went into these animals and they went back out into the world. The only condition God put on that was, but you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. So they come off the ark. Noah 
makes a sacrifice. And then God speaks about the rainbow. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. So he's speaking about you and me. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all life on earth. So covenant being a promise, this is the sign of the promise. The rainbow is that sign of the promise. So when you look up into the sky during a rainstorm and you see that rainbow, that's God's signature on his promise. A reminder of his love that he is not going to drown the whole earth. An everlasting covenant. He is not going to drown the whole earth as he once did with a flood. This is the same God, the Lord, the Savior of all the world, the God of free and faithful grace, who sent his Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save us all from our sin and our guilt and our shame by having his son keep all of the commandments perfectly for us because God demands perfection and we cannot do it perfectly. Jesus did it perfectly for us. Jesus then gives us that perfect life and credit it credits it to our account with God. Jesus his died on the cross and his blood has washed us clean from every guilty stain. And in the flood of Jesus' blood, we are purified. We are made holy. And God has prepared us for eternal life in this way. By faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved. By faith in Jesus Christ. And how do we receive that faith? We receive it through baptism. We receive because God's word is in baptism. And we receive that through the working of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit works through baptism. We also receive it through 
the Holy Spirit working in our heart through God's word. As you hear God's word, the Holy Spirit works in your heart and leads you to believe in Jesus. You see, there's nothing that we do, but God does it all. And as we come to faith and believe in him, then we come to realize that that rainbow that we see during that rainstorm is really a message from God to us telling us he loves us, that he forgives us. A message that says, just as he will not flood the whole earth again because he is a merciful God, so he is also a God of grace. God's grace to us is his undeserved love given to sinners, and we receive that grace through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose from the dead, and we live in that grace by faith in Jesus Christ. My friend, treasure every rainbow you see and know that it is God letting you see a little bit of his heaven. As Ezekiel says to us in Ezekiel chapter 1, he saw God's sapphire throne surrounded by a rainbow. What a sight. He couldn't look at it very long because he was overwhelmed and he fell on his face before God in humility. And God lifted him up. We'll hear about that in the sermon coming up. Let me tell you about the sermon. The sermon coming up that you're going to hear right now is from Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 25 through chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Has the theme, Speak the Truth in Love. You are speaking to the sin-sick, and a reminder be faithful to your heavenly father. So you should enjoy hearing about Ezekiel and God calling him to be a prophet. Stick around for the sermon. There's a lot there to learn too. Thank you for tuning in and choosing to listen to this podcast. The Lord be with you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Word of God for our consideration today. It's found in the book of Ezekiel chapter 1, beginning with verse 25. Then there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the expanse over their head was what looked like a throne of sapphire. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from 
what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire. The brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that is has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you, and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious house. These are God's words. Speak the truth in love. You are speaking to the sin sick. Be faithful to your heavenly Father. Ezekiel was his name his parents gave him. It means God is your strength. He was born in Israel, outside of Jerusalem. He was trained to be a priest of Israel from the family line of Levi. But he lived among a people that constantly rebelled against God under a king, Jehoiakim, who kept turning people away from the living God and gave them idols to worship in the high places and told them to go out and worship the starry host. So the people didn't go to temple as they did in the past, and they worshipped graven images, 
And they prostituted themselves to these images. And they sacrificed their children in the fire to these false gods. They killed their babies. And God warned them again and again. And then God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to come through Jerusalem. And this was just the first time. And he scooped up the elite in Jerusalem, the ruling class, along with King Jehoiakim and the man we know as the prophet Daniel and Ezekiel, and took them off to Babylon. So, years, about five years, into this captivity, God calls to Ezekiel while in captivity in Babylon. And... It was a day when Ezekiel describes the sky opened up, the heavens opened up. When he was about 30 years old and he was thinking to himself, if I was in Jerusalem, I would begin my service as a priest today in the temple. Today I would be a priest But God had a different mission for him. The sky opened up and he saw a vision of heaven. He saw angels. Oh, and they didn't look like Christmas tree angels. They had four faces. They were cherubim. They had the face of a man and of an eagle. They had the face of an ox. They had these faces that allowed them to look at all four corners of the earth at the same time. A reminder that God is everywhere. And when their wings were in motion, it was like thunder. He couldn't bear it. And then finally, he sees the things that are described from verse 25 on. Then there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads, over the angels' heads. As they stood with lowered wings above the expanse over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire this jeweled throne and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man he's meeting his heavenly father God the father met the prophet Moses in a burning bush. 
It is Moses that tells us in Deuteronomy that our God is a consuming fire. Here on this day, Ezekiel meets his heavenly father. Above the throne was a figure that, like that of a man, I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire. And brilliant lights surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. It's a picture of that rainbow. And God's throne there. But you see, Ezekiel didn't see it for long because he was so overwhelmed by what he saw... In humility, he fell down on his face before God. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. We know that when Moses would meet with God in the tent of meeting, he would come away and his face would glow. And he'd wear a veil over his face to keep people from staring at him. And then he heard a voice speaking to him. He said to me, Son of Man. He didn't call Ezekiel by his name. He calls him Son of Man. A reminder that he is a sinful man. And he tells him, Stand up on your feet. But he couldn't, not in his own strength. He couldn't. There he was, face down, surrounded by the glory of God, before the throne of God, and this all-consuming God and his, his glory all around him. And he couldn't stand before him, not by his own strength, No one can stand before the throne of God. No one can stand in the presence of God. Not on their own strength. We are but weak human beings. God has to help us. Son of man, stand up on your feet. And I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. God filled him and helped him to stand. And I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to his own people. To the very people God swept away into captivity because all they wanted to do was stick their tongue out at God and go worship idols. And do perverse things. Kill their own children. Every wrong thing you can think of. Every perverse thing you can think of. 
That's what they were doing. They didn't want to live by God's Ten Commandments. They had broken the covenant. His mission was to remind them of the covenant. The covenant that had been made long ago with Abraham. That the Christ, the Messiah, would come through their nation to save the world. The covenant that was made with them through Moses. And that how God hadn't changed. That the covenant was still the covenant. The promise. That's what a covenant is. A promise that God would send the Savior to take away the sin of the world. And that God hadn't changed. But they had changed. They had decided not to live by the covenant. They had decided they weren't going to live by those commands of God that their forefathers promised in the desert in front of Mount Sinai that they would keep. They didn't want to worship God anymore. He was to remind them that they they needed to repent. That is... Not simply to say sorry to God, but to change their lives, change their habits. They needed to come back to God and worship Him again. Not just outwardly, but in their hearts, sincerely. To hear the Word. To make God their priority. And then to live according to the commands of God. To love God and then to love one another. That's what he was calling them to. God would be their priority. And he reminds them over and over. These are a stiff-necked people. These are a stubborn people. They are constantly in rebellion. So whether they listen or they fail to listen, your job is to constantly tell them my word. Your You are, Ezekiel, never to say, this is a lost cause. Because if Ezekiel would say, this is a lost cause, I'm not doing this anymore, I quit my call, that would be Ezekiel being in rebellion. And God specifically tells him, do not rebel like the... Like that rebellious house. See, if God decides that these people are a lost cause, that's one thing. But Ezekiel doesn't get to do that. Ezekiel's job is to constantly preach the law of God and tell them a disaster is coming if you do not repent. That there really is a hell. And 
There really is a Savior who is coming to save you from that hell. He's also supposed to prepare people when the good day comes to go back to Israel and rebuild the temple. In the first part of the book of Ezekiel, the temple hadn't been destroyed yet. But the second half of the book, the temple is destroyed and more of their countrymen are brought into captivity in Babylon and then his efforts are to find people who want to get prepared when Nebuchadnezzar is no longer king in Babylon and to have a heart towards going back one day to rebuild God's house. To rebuild his temple so the glory of the Lord could once again fill the temple. But you have to have a life that is centered on the Lord first. They go from hating being in captivity to having cushy, comfortable lives in Babylon. And they, a lot of them don't even think about Israel anymore. They get too comfortable there. But God keeps telling him, these are rebellious people. They're worshiping false gods. The world is really no different today. God calls us as Christians to speak the truth in love to this sin-sick and dying world. And we must remember that we are speaking to an awful lot of sin-sick people when we speak His Word. They don't necessarily want to hear it, but they need to hear it. Keep that in mind as you share the Word with them. And whether they listen or fail to listen, they must know that they have been in the presence of a Christian who is unafraid to speak God's Word to them. And that's the big key. Be unafraid to speak God's Word to them. Sometimes we get afraid and we stifle ourselves or we try to keep the peace by not speaking the word or watering down the message. Well, they're going to attack me. They probably will. Probably attack you on social media. Well, maybe, maybe. Or perhaps there's no maybe about it. But you need to speak the word. Tell them the truth. Call sin, sin. That's God's rainbow. His throne was there. A sapphire throne when he talked to Ezekiel. We know in this sin-sick and dying world that people have taken the rainbow and done perverse things with it. But that's God's rainbow. Reclaim it for him in the way you use it in this world, in the way you talk about it, because it belongs to him. It's a symbol of peace between him and you. 
that he's not going to destroy this earth. It's a reminder that he loves you. And that he's going to send a savior into the world to take away the sin of the world. God loves you. God called Ezekiel to be faithful. He calls us to be faithful. We took vows and confirmation that we would be faithful. To preach the word. To teach the word. The unchangeable word. Let us be doing that in our homes. Let us be doing that when we speak it in public to our friends, family members, or others that we might meet. Let us be careful not to water it down. We live in a changing country. Today we still have freedom of speech. Let's pray that never goes away. But while we are free to speak, speak the word, the fullness of the word, call sin, sin, and then proclaim the gospel, the love of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. No one will ever appreciate the gospel of Jesus and how he died on the cross to remove their sin and to open heaven to them that they may behold the glory of God and that rainbow-encircled throne if they first don't realize that they're sinful. And that's what Christians do. That's what Ezekiel had to do. That's what Christians do today. We dare not water down the message. To this we must be committed. To God be the glory. Amen. I invite you to stand for the Nicene Creed. Thank you for listening to Love Letters from Jesus. I'm your host, Pastor Ted Bojanic, and I look forward to you listening again. Once again, if you liked our podcast, please give us a five-star review. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Anchor, or Google Podcasts. Look forward to having you listen to us again. Have a great week.